Tonight our theme uh, is regeneration. So let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for uh, the privilege of knowing you and the gift of the Holy Spirit witnessing with our spirits that we are the children of God, that we are heirs and joint heirs with Jesus Christ. We ask now for your blessing uh, as we as we come to examine together the biblical teaching uh, on regeneration. We pray, Lord, truly that each one of us might uh, entertain an assurance that we truly are born again, born from above. So bless us, we pray, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, if you didn't pick up an outline, uh, there's a whole uh, bunch of them on this side, on my left-hand side, and uh, we really need to get some on that side too, I think. Uh, but uh, turn, to, um, turn to the first page, or, or mine doesn't have page numbers, but I, I imagine yours does, uh, page number two, and I want to look at point number one, the order salutis. Uh, the application of redemption. Uh, this is our theme for this uh, fall. We began a few weeks ago talking about union with Christ, and we, we used that expression that it is the architectonic principle. Have you used that word yet? Architectonic principle. Just think of it as the hub uh, of a wheel and all of the other aspects like regeneration are spokes of that wheel. We are regenerated in union with the Lord Jesus. Now last week uh, Mark uh, McDowell, Dr. McDowell took you through effectual calling. Uh, just to remind you uh, that of course effectual calling is sometimes referred to as irresistible grace. Uh, one of the five points of Calvinism, the, the I in Calvinism. Uh, effectual calling is a much better term for it than irresistible grace, um, but it messes up the acronym uh, TULIP, of course. It'd be TULEP, I, I imagine. But let's look at regeneration. Uh, and uh, point number one gives you a kind of trajectory of some of the things that we need to talk about in the coming weeks. Uh, faith and repentance, justification, sanctification, adoption, perseverance, and glorification. Now, let's look at uh, a text uh, in the Old Testament, in Ezekiel 36. The Old Testament prophets, the major prophets, Jeremiah and Ezekiel, were both uh, looking forward to Jeremiah just before the exile, Ezekiel during the exile, uh, Ezekiel was probably taken into exile when he was a teenager. Uh, and then both of these prophets, uh, in the chapters, the 30s, uh, Jeremiah 31, 33, Ezekiel uh, 34 and 36, anticipate the coming of the new covenant. Uh, and uh, Ezekiel in 36, 25 through 27 says, I will sprinkle 
clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness and from all your idols. I will cleanse you, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh, from a dead heart to something that's living and, and, and throbbing, and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. We could have looked at similar passages in Jeremiah uh, 31 and 33, anticipating the new covenant and anticipating it in terms of language that seems to suggest a coming to life. Now, that may lead you to ask, was there no regeneration under the Old Testament? That's a separate question and don't go down that road. The answer is yes, of course. Uh, Folks were saved under the Old Covenant in the same way that they're saved in the New Covenant, only in type and, and shadow. But there is, I think, under the New Covenant an enlarging of this. Uh, but the, the idea of was to ask the question, was David born again or was Ezekiel born again? It's, it's, uh, it's, it's not language that Ezekiel or David would understand for sure. But, but were their hearts brought out of darkness and into light? Were their hearts quickened? And the answer to that is, is of course, yes. But there is something, there is something even more so and above Uh, about the way that that happens, I think, in the New Covenant and following Pentecost. Now let's go into the New Testament. Uh, The 20th century, of course, uh, we're very familiar with the language of being born again, regeneration. Uh, One thinks of it perhaps in the era of Jimmy Carter and so on, and, and born again Christians and born again presidents and, and, and so on. So, so the language, the terminology uh, is very familiar to us. Actually, it's not that often found in the New Testament. It, it is largely uh, um, terminology that is confined almost to John. It's, it's John's way of talking rather than Paul's way of talking. Paul Paul will use other metaphors to describe what it is uh, that, that coming to life. And, and Paul's metaphor is death and resurrection. Same idea, of course, coming to life. But the idea of being born uh, again or born from above is, is very much a John uh, idea in the New Testament. So, so having said that... Um, the actual word uh, occurs only twice outside of John, and that's in Matthew uh, 19:28, and it's referring to uh, something, something a little different. Jesus said to them, "Truly, I say to you, in the new world, uh, it's the same word, palingenesia. It's the same word as, as is used in John 3 with Nicodemus, unless a man is born again." Um, Matthew 19:28 is suggesting that not only, not only do we come to life, but there's a sense at the end of the, of the age in which creation comes to new life. There is a recreation, uh, a creation of a new heavens and a new earth. 
So Jesus is applying that idea of coming to life in a, in an, well, I was going to say in an eschatological sense, but in the sense of the renewal of the world at the end of the age. Uh, as is Paul, though he's not using that language, but he's using that idea in Romans 8.19, for the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. It's the same idea, same metaphor, that, that the creation is groaning and travailing in birth, waiting for the renewal of all things at the end of the age. And then Paul in Titus 3.5 speaks of the washing of rebirth or in some translations the washing of regeneration same same word same idea he saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness but according to his own mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the holy spirit now notice three ideas there Uh, in close connection with each other. One is the idea of washing, one is the idea of regeneration, and one is the renewal of the Holy Spirit. So washing, regeneration, Holy Spirit. Now our minds immediately jump to the idea of baptism, baptism washing, and of course we're going to come to that in in a second. But what is it that's used in baptism? Water as a symbol of what? Of washing, of the need to be washed, of the need to be cleansed. So, so there, is, there is an association of a number of ideas here. Baptism, washing rituals, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the renewal of the Holy Spirit, and this idea of regeneration. Now, forget the questions Uh, that I asked there and just drop down to point three, Uh, uh, being born again, being born again. Let's go to John Uh, and there are uh, a number uh, number of passages here. Uh, The first one is in the prologue of John's gospel. Uh, The prologue which begins, in the beginning was the word and then down in verse 12 But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Now there is is a textual variation here that has affected uh, the the way some people understand this text. the ESV understands this as a reference to the likes of you and me, that those who believe in Jesus have the right to become the sons of God, verse uh, 13, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. We are dead in trespasses and in sins. We, we, the, the, the reason why we are Christians is not because we willed to be Christians. That's not to say that the will isn't active in our becoming Christians, but it's, it's not as a result of our willing. It's not as a result of anything that man does. Man is dead in trespasses and in sins. But notice the language there, were born, not of blood. Now, there is a variation that suggests that the The born here is a reference to Jesus who was born rather than were born. He 
He was born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man. And in that case, it would be a reference to the unusual nature of Jesus' birth. John perhaps referring to the virgin birth. But, but in the ESV, uh, the, the, the sense of this is that, that Christians, those who believe on the Lord Jesus, are born. They are born uh, not of blood, nor of the will of man, nor, nor of the flesh, but of God. Now turn to John 3, and uh, Jesus speaking with Nicodemus. Uh, and we have a number of uh, expressions, but in verse 3 and in verse 5, verse 3, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, uh, it, it could also be born from above, uh, is, is Jesus saying born again in the sense of a second birth or is, or is the reference to the, the being born from above as a, as a sovereign act and, and it could be taken either way uh, the, the ESV has gone for the again uh, unless one is born again he cannot see the kingdom of God and verse 5 truly truly I say to you unless one is born of water and the spirit he cannot enter the kingdom of God. So, born again, born of water and the Spirit. Uh, Jesus is speaking to Nicodemus, uh, the greatest Bible teacher uh, of Jesus' day, apart from Jesus himself. Uh, he was a, a well-known teacher of the law. Uh, he was a well-known Bible scholar. And yet, Jesus goes to him and, and says to him, uh, uh, he comes to Jesus and says, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do the, these signs that you do unless God is with him. And Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. He cannot see, he cannot understand, he cannot comprehend the kingdom of God. And what does Nicodemus say? I don't understand what it is you're talking about. Right? He falls into the very trap that Jesus has set for him, showing that he wasn't born again. Now, by the end of the gospel, uh, he is there as, as one of the disciples uh, at the time of the burial of Jesus and one has every confidence that Nicodemus was indeed born again but here he is a Bible scholar but he doesn't understand what it is Jesus is talking about here when he talks about the language of regeneration of being born again and then in your notes uh, similar language uh, in James and Peter uh, and Galatians, he brought us forth, similar, uh, similar kind of metaphor certainly, uh, caused us to be born again, First Peter 1, 3, and, and again in verse 23. Uh, and uh, in the second chapter, First Peter 2, 2, uh, he speaks about newborn infants. So the idea of a believer, of someone who's brought into union and communion and fellowship with the Lord Jesus, using the metaphor of, of birth, they've been born, they've been brought into 
existence. They come to life. They were dead and they come to life. Now, a little bit of history. I won't, uh, I won't go too far into this uh, here tonight, but uh, because of the association of uh, the verse in Titus uh, and the verse of Jesus with Nicodemus, especially verse 5 that says, unless, unless, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, that, that reference to water, uh, the Titus reference, the washing of regeneration. Uh, you could almost write this plot, and uh, even if you didn't know any church history, you know what's going to happen here, that the reference to water is going to be seen as a reference to baptism, and that therefore baptism has some, some abracadabra kind of power, uh, some, some hocus pocus. You know where hocus pocus comes from, right? Hoc est corpus meum at the time of the Reformation, uh, Catholic words at the time of, uh, of, the, of, the, of the Mass, so hoc est, this is my body, hoc est corpus meum, hocus pocus, suddenly it becomes the body of, of Christ, right? like abracadabra. And uh, so that's where hocus pocus comes from. And uh, that, that baptism contains within itself some kind of mystical magical spiritual powers to regenerate. So a view begins to develop in the early church and you see it in Justin Martyr and Irenaeus and these are, you know, when we do church history sometimes we, we talk about good guys and bad guys if you want to be really simplistic about it and, and uh, Justin Martyr and Irenaeus on some issues are good guys and then other issues they're not so good guys, and, and here they're really bad guys because they, 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 they talk about baptismal regeneration. That at the time of baptism, we are born again at baptism. Um, I, was, uh, I was at a baptism recently and uh, uh, over, overheard uh, the words of, of, the, of the sort of liturgy of the baptism and uh, to all intents and purposes it sounded like I really don't think this is what the minister intended but it sounded like as though suddenly this baby had been regenerated there and then at the baptism and, uh, and sometimes uh, ministers uh, who should know better uh, will we'll, we'll sometimes take the baby and, and hold the baby up and say, this baby is now a Christian. Now, I think I know what they mean, uh, but the language is altogether uh, unclear and, all, and, and, and inappropriate, I think, because it lends folk to, to begin to think that something has happened in the baptism that has regenerated this infant. Um, it's not something that's only true of Presbyterians. A similar view can, of course, develop in, uh, in uh, Baptist churches too uh, at the time of the profession of faith uh, of, uh, of, young, of younger, certainly, children. Uh, but, the, but the view of baptismal regeneration. Uh, notice the language of our own confession here, which throws uh, some people off. Uh, baptism is a sacrament of the New Testament ordained by Jesus Christ not only for the solemn admission of the party baptized into the visible church not, not to the invisible church right? the invisible church consists of the elect but the visible church consists of those who make a profession of faith and their children 
So, so, so at the time of baptism, they're brought into the visible church. That's not to say that they are regenerate, but also to be unto him a sign and seal of the covenant of grace, of his ingrafting into Christ of regeneration. It's a sign and seal of regeneration. Now, it's not a sign and seal that the person baptized is regenerate. It's a sign and seal that the person baptized needs to be regenerated. And and that's where the confusion comes. And fellow Presbyterian ministers sometimes uh, cite cite this passage uh, in a way that's less than helpful here. The, The Westminster Confession was not teaching baptismal regeneration, that one is regenerated at the time of baptism. Uh, and then, uh, just a side note here, those who, are, th- those who are Calvin buffs here in the congregation and, and who live and breathe John Calvin, uh, and I need to know who you are if, if that's who you are, and, uh, but you need to be very careful when you read the Institutes, for example, Calvin's magnum opus, the Institutes of the Christian Religion, because Calvin uses the word regeneration in an entirely 16th century sense. And for Calvin... He's using it in a very different sense than, say, the Westminster Confession is using that word. Calvin viewed the entire Christian life as a, as a renewal, as a, as a coming to life. So he includes in regeneration the idea of sanctification, for example, because we are being renewed day by day after the image of Christ. It's a very different idea. So, so be careful when you're reading John Calvin, that you're not accusing him of something that he really wasn't saying. He's just using the word in a 16th century sense rather than a 17th century sense. But, but let me move on. Um, uh, in, in Reformed theology, generally, regeneration refers to the inauguration of new life, the coming, the coming to life of an individual who is by nature dead in trespasses and in sins. Now, regeneration, follow me closely now, regeneration takes place at the level of the subconscious. What we become conscious of and what others become conscious of is the effect of that regeneration. What we normally these days refer to as conversion. So that, so that what, what has taken place as a sovereign act of God in the life and in, in, the, in, the, in, the, in the subconscious level of that individual then manifests itself as life. And it manifests itself by a profession, by faith, by repentance, by, by a love for Jesus, by prayer, and, and, and so on, by the fruits of the Spirit. So, regeneration is that sovereign act of God that brings someone from, from death to life. Now, that may take place, for example... Uh, in the womb. You know, if you ask me, when was John the Baptist regenerated? And my answer to you, I think, would be that he was regenerated in the womb. Uh, if you asked me, when was Samuel 
regenerated. And I, I think I would answer in the same way that I think that the testimony of Scripture is that Samuel was regenerated in his mother's womb. Now, to ask a two-day-old baby, is this child regenerate, is a nonsensical sort of question to ask. There's, there's no way you can answer that question. Until, until they can give evidence of that regeneration, in other words, until they give evidence of being converted, they, they may be regenerated, but they don't know it. They may be regenerated, and you don't know it. So the Bible doesn't ask that question, when were you regenerated? The Bible wants to know, is there evidence of regeneration in terms of an outward manifestation of faith and repentance? What we tend to call today conversion, distinguishing between regeneration and conversion. So regeneration takes place, I think, at the level of the subconscious. Now, let's, uh, let's talk about some uh, theological issues here. Let's, uh, let's look at uh, regeneration in relationship to uh, union with Christ. Let's go to a text here, 1 John 5.18. We know that everyone who has been born of God, there's the idea of regeneration, everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning. But he who was born of God, and, and in that sense Jesus, I think, protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. So, so John is saying that the one who is born of God, the one who is regenerated, manifests that regeneration in a, in a life of holiness. John isn't talking about perfection here, but, but he is talking about a goal, a direction, uh, an intent. A disposition. Where does the needle point? You know, when, when, you, when you have a compass and you, you swirl it around, where, where's that compass eventually going to, going, to, going to land? And it's going to point towards magnetic north. Just like, just like the compass of a born-again Christian will point in the direction of Jesus, of holiness, of sanctification. Uh, let's, go, let's drop down to uh, the emphasis here upon sovereignty. And, and this, is, this, is, this is crucial. Because this is what distinguishes, uh, say, the Reformed faith from, uh, from, Arminian, uh, from Arminian expressions. Uh, let's look at John 1.12. We are born under B. We are born not of our own will but of God's decision. Let's, let's pick up the actual language in verse 12. To all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born, not of blood, right? You, you, can't, you can't create Christians simply by procreation. Right? You can't populate the church simply by having more babies. Right? We're not, we're not, we don't become Christians simply because we have a genetic link to parents who are Christians. Now, children who are linked to parents who are Christians are in a covenant and they're surrounded by all kinds of wonderful and extraordinary promises. But there's still no absolute guarantee you can still be a prodigal even within that covenant. You can be a covenant violator. You can be a covenant breaker. 
So, so we're not born simply because of blood, because of DNA, nor of the will of the flesh. Now that's, that's sort of edgy, isn't it? That's, that's what separates some branches of Christianity from others. Some people will say that the reason, the reason I'm a Christian is because I decided to be a Christian. I made a decision. Right? We, we use that language. Now, I certainly did make a decision. I, I certainly did make a decision. It, my regeneration didn't take place over my head and over my being in some kind of platonic stratosphere up there somewhere. It took place in me. I, I made a decision. But how was I able to make that decision? Why did I choose Jesus? Because God enabled me to choose Jesus. Because in my natural disposition, I didn't want to choose Jesus. In my natural disposition, my Adamic disposition, I'm dead in trespasses and in sins. I'm not, I'm not in the ER, but I'm not on a life support machine. I'm dead. Which means, which means I don't have the natural disposition to, to think or to reason, or to choose, or even to exercise the right kinds of emotions or affections. All of that is a product of God having worked in me. I sought the Lord, and afterward I knew He moved my soul to seek Him, seeking me. It was not I that chose, O Savior, true. No, I was found of thee. It it was not me, it was God who found me. We were born not of our own will, but of God's will. Now, you know, even, even those who, who resort to, um, you know, they have a kind of mantra. Some Christians have a kind of mantra that, that, that says uh, free will is, is the most important concept of all. And if you violate the idea of free will without distinguishing what that free will means here, but, the, but free will in the sense of I have the power to make all choices. No, I don't have the power to make all choices. But, but, but Christians who believe that they have that power will often say that the reason they became Christians is because they made a decision. What, you know, they, they may say that when they're talking, when they're standing up, or when they get down on their knees and they pray, they'll say something quite different. They'll say, Lord, I thank you that I'm a Christian. Why are you thanking God if it was you who made the decision? This is, this is your decision, so take credit for it. I mean, it's either your decision or God's decision, and if it's your decision, you should take credit for it. You should say, time out. Lord, I'm just, just going to take this little moment here to say I made a really good decision. <laughs> and it was, a, it was a really good decision, and it was mine. And I, and I take the credit for it. it. It wasn't you who made this decision. I made this decision. Actually, I've never heard anybody say any such thing. <laughs> right, but when they stand up and begin to talk, especially when they begin to argue and debate, then, then 
what they say seems to contradict what it is that they're doing when they're giving God thanks for their salvation. Uh, Notice the language uh, born again in John 3 with Nicodemus, verses 3 and 5, and there's there's a lot of of evidence in, 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 the, in the original language in Greek to suggest that, that what Jesus is referring is not a second birth, although that language and that idea has become very dear to us, and especially from one of Wesley's great hymns. Um, but the idea is born from above, born as a result of the putting forth of the sovereignty of God. Uh, and, and that seems to be what John is saying in his epistles, the, the, the four or five, six references that I have under, under B3, we are born of God. Born of God. Born of, of his power. He, he put forth his power. He exercised his power. It is God who chose to give us birth through the word of truth. James 1.18. And, and the emphasis is on the sovereignty aspect. There are things that God does in the order of salvation. And there are things that we respond to when we come to a faith and repentance. It's our faith. It's not God's faith. It's our faith. It's our repentance. It's not God's repentance. It's our repentance. But that faith and repentance comes as a result of something God has done. He has changed us. He has renewed us in our mind, will, and affections. Now, notice uh, under 6 the necessity of regeneration. Why is this necessary? Why is regeneration this kind of regeneration? This kind of sovereign uh, regeneration. Notice the word must. uh, The word day in Greek. Greek, uh, That you must be born again. There's an absolute necessity to regeneration, without which we can never be Christians. We can, we can never go to heaven. And the reason why a sovereign work of regeneration needs to take place is, of course, because of our natures. Because we are sinners. And not just little sinners, but we are hardened sinners. We are perpetual sinners. Uh, John 3, 6, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. And that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Now, John, I think, is using the word flesh in a different way to the way Paul sometimes uses the word flesh. But I think John is using it simply in in terms of flesh, meaning flesh and blood. All that flesh and blood can give birth to is flesh and blood. We can't create spiritual beings. We, we can't create Christians. We can, we can create, we can procreate, but we can't, we can't produce Christians. I mean, if we could produce Christians, you know... We'd be having as many babies as we could possibly have to populate the world with Christians, right? Now, there are branches of the Christian church that have tried to do that. 
And there are branches of Islam that are trying to do that right now. Because if what you're trying to produce is something earthly and genetic, then procreation is the answer. But here, the Bible is saying to us, Christians are not the product of DNA. They cannot see. Isn't that what Jesus says to Nicodemus? You cannot see, you cannot understand, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. There is, there is a native inability about the natural man. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. He's utterly powerless. He's utterly powerless. He is, he's devoid of the natural ability to believe. Right? John six forty four. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. You, you cannot come unless the Father draws you. Uh, Romans 8, 7 and 8. The mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. For it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. It cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. If they're in the flesh. If they're not indwelt by the Spirit. If they're not quickened. If they're not renewed. If they're not regenerate. Right, so one of the, one of the misconceptions here that has arisen in the life of the church is the relationship of faith to regeneration. Which comes first, faith or regeneration? You know, I tell my students, especially Presbyterians who are going to go before presbytery for an examination, that's, a, that's often a question, it's a kind of trick question that, that, that presbyters like to put to, to prospective uh, ordinance. One or two of you need to be listening. You know, which comes first, faith or repentance? And if you say faith, uh, which comes first, faith or regeneration? And if you say faith, it's all over. It's finished. There are no more questions. You can be a people greeter in Walmart, but you're not going to be ordained into the ministry of the Word of God because you've got something absolutely fundamental wrong. Because you cannot exercise faith until you are regenerate. Until God does this sovereign work, of renewing your mind and will and affections. You can't exercise faith. Uh, now, uh, let, me, let me, because our time, my clock is going, let me, let me drop down here uh, just to mention a couple of points under seven, the character of regeneration. Actually, let me go back up to that little that little sub-point above seven there, the morphology of regeneration. But by that I mean, you know, people talk, we give testimonies. I love to hear testimonies. We should do that more. We should have occasions when we hear a testimony more, I think. I'm going to work on that. It's wonderful to hear somebody's testimony, the providence of God as to how they were brought to saving faith. And every testimony is just a little bit different. It, it has some common features. They were dead and they come to life. But, but, but um, you know, Rosemary and I have very different testimonies. Rosemary was a Presbyterian. She went to church three times on Sunday. She 
sat around the piano playing hymns on a Sunday afternoon. That was not my experience. You know, I was converted on December the 28th, 1971, at about 11 o'clock at night. I mean, I can be as definitive as that. If I, I, I can't even see where Rosemary is now. But, but if, I, if you were to ask Rosemary, she's going to say to you, she doesn't know when she was converted because she doesn't remember a time when she didn't believe. But it's very different from mine. But, but that's not the important, that's wonderful and it's very encouraging. And I think testimonies are very encouraging. I love to hear testimonies. But the point is, I, you know, there, there was a time in my life when I wanted, I wanted a different, I wanted that kind of testimony. I, I used to kind of envy those who were raised in Christian homes and they had so many advantages and, and so on. And wouldn't it be wonderful to say that you can trace your Christian heritage back through six, seven, eight generations of people? And I can't do that. It's not the morphology of regeneration that's important. It's whether you are regenerate. And how do you know that you're regenerate? Well, actually, you don't know that you're regenerate. What you know is that you're converted. That regeneration manifests itself. Right? I can't look into my my innermost soul somewhere and find the point at which I was regenerated. Now, I, I think I can get pretty close to it. Actually, I'm not sure that Rosemary can. She probably expressed her faith, sorry for singling you out in public here, but, but this is a great example, but Rosemary expressed her faith when she was a teenager, but actually she had probably been regenerated a long time before that. Who knows when? God knows. The Lord knows. And, and part of the problem sometimes is that we, 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 we kind of turn in on ourselves trying to find the moment or the time when we were regenerated and that's, that's not the important thing. The important thing is that that regeneration manifests itself in an outward expression of commitment to the Lord Jesus. Evidences of regeneration and when you read John and uh, here I've got a list of verses uh, from First John. Uh, and what is John doing under 8? Uh, giving you evidences of regeneration. How does regeneration evidence itself? Well, First John 2.29, if you, if you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. What does practice righteousness mean? Well, it means loving Jesus. It means reading his word. It means exercising a life of prayer. These are, these are outward expressions of a life of righteousness and integrity. But that's evidence of the fact that you've been born again. First John 4, 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Now, the person who isn't regenerate doesn't love the people of God. If somebody says, you know, I'm a Christian, but I hate the church. You know, I have no time for the church whatsoever. You know, there's a, there's a wonderful Snoopy cartoon, which I used to have in my office. And I, since I moved, I can't find it. It's, it's stuck in a book somewhere. Uh, it's a little cartoon, and a Peanuts cartoon, and, uh, and it says, um, I love the church. It's just people I don't like. <laughs> And, uh, and I, I wanted to put that on a frame somewhere to, to chastise myself because you, you, can't, you can't love the church and hate people. And you can't love God and not like people. 
Because as the King James Version says, ye are a peculiar people. And some of God's people are peculiar, but you love them all the same. Uh, a changed relationship to the world. First uh, John 5, 4, let everyone who has been born of God, uh, everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Right, so one of the evidences, one of the evidences that we've been born again is faith. We believe. And so on. Well, our time, uh, our time is really going here. Uh, let me just say um, that uh, uh, the Bible also seems to say something about the instrument of regeneration. Uh, how, how does, what, what instruments does God use to bring about regeneration? And, and you've got passages like 1 Peter 1.23. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. God uses his word as an instrument to bring about that regeneration. Now some of you are troubled, uh, as, as I often am troubled, about a member of the family or a friend who isn't uh, a Christian. And they need to be regenerated. Now how are they going to be regenerated? Through the instrument of the living and abiding word of God. So never give up. Never give up telling them the gospel. Never give up offering them something to read from the scriptures. Never give up reminding them to open the Bible. To read the word of God. Because that's the instrument that God uses to bring about regeneration. Now we're going to move on next week to faith, I think, faith and repentance. And uh, as we continue in this uh, study together of uh, the application of redemption, we're going to segue in a few minutes to prayer. We'll be joined by others. Uh, do try and fill as many of the tables as you, as you can. Uh, we'll, we'll start that prayer meeting in a couple of minutes from now, but let's pray. Father, we thank you. Thank you for taking hold of us when we were dead, renewing our minds, giving us a new will to run after you, to, giving, to give us new affections to, to love you, to, to love not the things of this world, but to love you, to love your son, to love your truth, to love the promises that you give us in covenant. And uh, we thank you for the evidences uh, of that regenerate heart, that new, living, breathing, beating heart, as we find our fulfillment and contentment again and again in the Lord Jesus and in none other. Uh, we've tried all the broken uh, cisterns of the world, but none fulfills and satisfies like the Lord Jesus. So bless us now, we pray we ask these, these things in Jesus' name. Amen.